I want to turn to the Word this morning. I'm going to turn to John 17 this morning, as well as uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to look at both the passages today. Thank you, Andrew. And, um, you know, there's so many blessings. I mentioned last week that as we, as we listen in to Jesus Christ sharing his vision for the future of his blood-bought church, what he hopes for, what he dreams about, what he is destined for the church from eternity past in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and how he shares the vision with his dad, and how he prays that his vision will, be, will come to pass for the church. I mentioned that it feels like we're on holy ground, like we should take our shoes off, because we are in the presence of something so, I mean, it's, a, it's the interaction of the Trinity. I mean, how, how often do you get to listen in on that? And we mentioned last time that we can enter into the vision that Jesus has, the elements of the vision that Jesus has with a lot of confidence for two reasons. One, when God has a vision, it happens. Secondly, when God the Son asks God the Father for something, the answer is always yes. So two amazing, amazingly incredible tsunami waves of positivity for the church into the future. The vision of Jesus, first wave. The petition to his dad, the second wave. So grab your surfboards and let's go for a ride. Last time we talked about part of the vision of Jesus being grace defined not by there just being a gracious God and the invitation to come into the promises of God, but rather we have a gracious God that chases us down like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep, stirs our hungers, stirs our desires, not only to come to Him in the first place, but the fact that you have enjoyed God today is because of God coming to you and stirring you with a hunger and desire for Him and then satisfying you with the, the taste and see that the Lord is good, promise that he released, has released over your life. He's come and got you and pulled you into the promise, not just invited you to the promise. Not in a violation of your will. It's still your free choice fully. But he stirs a hunger in you that makes it, well, you're just going to go ahead and choose it because you want to. Because that's the kind of God he is. We talked about receiving the word. Jesus has a vision of a church that is on fire for the apostolic teaching of the Bible and for embracing with joy the revelation of the Father that Jesus himself walked in. Going deeper, having the courage to, to believe, to be among those that are not passive or not tentative about the affection of the Father, but are going all in for the love of affection of Dad. 
same affection that Jesus himself walked in. Jesus continues to describe his vision, and I'm only going to share one point today, but I'm going to elaborate on it for a bit. It's a, it's a fringe benefit of the experience, a deepening, a deeper, deeper, deep calling to deep experience of God as dad, as father. There's a wonderful fringe benefit from that, and that is to be separated from the evil one, to be delivered and saved and free from any influence of the evil one. So here's the point. One point, a vision, Jesus' vision of a church living in this world, but kept separate from the evil one. Let's read the verse, verse 14, John 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Michael Green, British theologian, wrote a book some years ago called I Believe in Satan's Downfall. It's a good book. And one of the things that Michael Green has said is that with his observation of evangelical and charismatic Holy Spirit churches, that it seems like two-thirds of the church doesn't even know that there's a battle going on. And one-third of the church thinks of nothing else but the battle and the devil. And I think it would be very much like the enemy, wouldn't it, to either push us to either extreme. Not even knowing there's a fight, not even there knowing that there is a personal Satan, or being more obsessed with Satan than Jesus himself on the other end, and living in fear of the work of the evil one. And I see in Jesus' teaching in John 17, not so much a uh, balance of those two things, but just a calm, peaceful, joyful, tranquil, anointing of the Holy Spirit that lives in constant victory in the presence of God, obsessed with God, but in a way that there's always the recognition we are defeating the evil one day after day after day after day, moment after moment after moment after moment. We are totally the winners and we're not even trying that hard. Bit of the history of the battle, it's rather a long battle, a long war. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve where they had, were given by God dominion over the earth. And when they sinned, they fell. They gave up the authority and the enemy took it over. And the enemy has been wreaking havoc on, on humanity down through the ages. Wars and sadnesses, heartaches and marriage and children and loss of children and, and pain and self-destruct. Down through the ages, Jesus said the enemy has come to, to kill, to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And Jesus himself said, 
the principle is that the strong man must be bound. And then we can ransack his house. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ on his cross, when he shed his blood on that cross, he died and he rose again. He bound the strong man. That was a historic day. He bound the strong man. And he is inviting the church to wreak havoc in the strong man's house and steal back what the enemy has stolen from people. That's what he's calling us to do. John Wimber talks about it, talked about it as if similar to D-Day, where everybody knew when D-Day happened and the USA and British forces in, you know, uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy. And everybody knew at that moment the war was over. Now, there was still yet the Battle of the Bulge and other cleanup operations, but everybody knew, Germans as well as Allied forces, Axis as well as Allied forces, they knew that that was a decisive blow. And I want to tell you, there's been a decisive blow. Death and resurrection of Jesus was D-Day. Dominion Day. The church is taking back in the power of Jesus. Jesus it's said of Jesus, uh, John's Gospel, that the Son of Man... For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the evil one. And as we are bound up with Jesus and bound up with his cause and his purposes, it's not so much that we are we're like in a constant state of, of intensity or, or a fight mode, not a fight or flight mode. It's different than either one of those. It's a, it's a calm repose. In the presence of God, so a bit like a, a featherweight boxer, light guy, taking on the world champion heavyweight boxer. And he dances around, and the boxer, heavyweight boxer, is just trying to beat him. He can't hit him. Then all of a sudden, the featherweight boxer goes like this. And the guy falls down, and the referee counts to 10. It's a it's a KO. It's a knockout. Not because the featherweight boxer did certain things just the right way, but because he knew he had a power that was supernatural power that was outside of the ring. And he was partnering with that power just by Jesus said, with the finger of God, I cast out Satan. He's not this big looming force that we need to be afraid of. Our victory comes from rest, repose, peace, a Sabbath rest in his presence. Jesus used the word of God, didn't he, to defeat the enemy when the enemy attacked him in the desert. We have a huge weapon with the word of God, don't we? But Jesus, he wasn't intimidated, neither should we be. Remember, Elijah, 400 prophets of Baal. He challenged them to set their, to call on Baal, to, to set the fire on the, on the altar. They couldn't do it. Elijah mocked them. We shouldn't mock the devil, just so you know. 
But he said, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. And then he, he, he even poured water on his sacrifice, called on God, and fire fall, come, falls down. The enemy is destroyed. Praise God. I remember reading a story of Martin Luther in the Reformation, doing some writing and prayer. He looked up from his desk, had a visitation of the devil in person. Very few people have that. Hope you never do. <laughs> Another ugly experience, I'm sure. He threw his ink bottle at the devil, and the devil disappeared in Jesus' name. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth, British revivalist in the early 1900s. Stories told of Smith Wigglesworth sleeping and being woke up by the devil visiting his room, apparition appearing. He said, oh, it's just you. And he rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> we probably won't have a personal visitation like that. If you do, throw your ink bottle or roll over and go to sleep. Operate from rest. But what we, what we do have are things like persecution that we know the enemy is behind. There's cosmic evil forces behind persecution down through the ages. We do know that there's temptation. And there's a world of flesh and the devil involved in temptation, even of Christians, seriously. We do know that there is sort of an underlying sense of something's wrong with this planet now. Something's off. We are aware of it. There's a certain malaise about planet Earth. And no matter how much human optimism there is, We cannot stay in denial that we are in a war, that there's enemy forces involved, cosmic battles happening. And I believe that when Jesus comes back or when we die and find ourselves in his presence, one of the things we'll be utterly amazed about is how that all lifts, how it just lifts. Whoa! New heaven and a new earth. A new earth, even. It'll just lift. The malaise will just lift. And we'll be so grateful. Because we're experiencing the bosom of the Father, heaven. And tears will begin to roll. Not tears of regret, but tears of gratitude. And Jesus himself will personally wipe away every tear. What a day. The call of God is uh, threefold with regard to the battle. First, battle requires engaging the enemy in a fight. President Lincoln in the Civil War was frustrated that one of his, the top Union general practiced a lot, but he would never engage the enemy, so he replaced him. The church has sometimes down through the years not engage the enemy. We've done two things in response to the reality of the enemy and the world. One is that 
Sometimes the church has withdrawn from the world. Just withdrawn. And our day is expressed with, well, the rapture's going to happen anyway. I'm just going to hold on until Jesus comes and not engage the world. It's, it's done anyway. It's over. I'm just going to hide out us four and no more, and hopefully they won't come to our door. People withdraw from the world, or sometimes they conform to the world. Sometimes they conform to the world. That would be like Abraham Lincoln's top general, not only not fighting, but joining the enemy forces. The call of Jesus in this passage is to, he says, I don't pray you take them out of the world. Later he says, I'm sending them into the world. You're in the world. Don't withdraw. Engage. Engage. Engage the enemy. Engage the enemy, not in fear, not in anxiety, not in hostility, not in anger, not with a great big God, not with, sorry, not with a great big devil and a little bitty God, but with a great big God and a little bitty devil. He is, uh, what's it, Isaiah say? Isaiah describes Lucifer. And the end of that description, he says, uh, you, you are the one that caused the nations to tremble? You're the one? Oh, my goodness. His only power is lies. His only power is lies. I need to be medicated. God has abandoned me. I don't have any comfort or love, so I'm going to go to my darling sin and get some medication. And then it comes down and even worse. Persecution. Down through the ages, Jesus said, I was per- I'm, I'm, I'm persecuted. My disciples, my book of Acts, they were persecuted. Emperor Nero, just after the book of Acts, killed Many, many Christians in Rome set a legal precedent for the empire that it's okay to kill Christians. It didn't become uh, an empire-wide mandate till the 300s, but there was sporadic persecution. But underlying it was a, a hatred that was based on lies. They would say stuff like, this is from second century documents, They are incestuous, these Christians. Clearly, they are. They're always talking about the brother love and the brothers and the sisters. Proof. They're incestuous. They're cannibals. They're always talking about the body and the blood. They're atheists. They don't honor the Roman pantheon, the Greek pantheon. They don't like us. They're haters. They're haters. That one's been refreshed, hasn't it? Lies. That's what's behind it. Jesus says it. I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Secondly, Battle requires engaging the enemy in a confident fight. 
We talked about that because God is our victor and the word of God is our help. We are victorious in confidence. I am so weary. I can't think of anyone I've interacted with in this church lately about this, this way. So you're okay. If you think this way, I'm not talking about you because I can't think of who who it would be in this congregation. Not sure about you at home. (laughs) But there have been occasions where people have pulled back from ministry because they felt like Satan would attack their families if they were engaged in battle. Don't believe that lie. You are safe in God. And battle also requires engaging the enemy in a confident and a smart fight. A smart fight. John 17, verse 14. Wow. Out of time. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus discerns persecution. He discerns the, that persecution is a fight area. Holiness is a fight area. He later goes on to talk about sanctification. We'll talk about that sometime soon. And then the, the most important area, I believe, that Jesus addresses is father confidence. In Jesus' theology, the secret to fighting smart is being kept by the Father from the evil one. It is at this very point that the evil one's strategy, primary strategy is is to defeat you in your faith and belief in the Father's affection for you. If he can get you there, he can get you other places. If If you can have victory in receiving the affection of dad in heaven in a continual way. You'll have victory in other areas because that's where the victory is. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. God, Father, you, he said, Jesus says, I displayed I displayed the Father's name to them. I kept them in the Father's name. Now, Father, will you keep them in your name? Name and name is not just label, it's presence. You see, Jesus comes on the scene with a radical new concept. I mentioned last time, Old Testament, only a few times God's referred to as Father Jesus. New Testament, over 200 times. In Islam, there's 99 names for God. Not one of them is Father. And there's a saying among Islamic peoples down through the years that only the camel, who they have great respect and regard for in nomad desert countries, only the camel knows the 100th name of God. I want to tell you, my friends, You are among those that know the hundredth name of God. His name is Father. And the call of Jesus is for you to continually foil and neutralize the works of the devil by your hiding in the shadow of his wings. Let God be your refuge and your strength. 
Let the Father's name continually envelop you. Jesus comes on the scene with a shock and awe message. His name is Dad, Abba Father. And you are protected by that name. You're safe by that name. And victory flows from the platform of that name into every area of your life. There's joy because of the name. There's redemption because of the name. I purchased you with my blood the same depth of intimacy with dad that I have, Jesus says. The father is in me. I am in the father. That's what I blood bought for you. The father himself loves you. It's at that point, my friends, that the enemy will attack you with all of his forces. It is that place where you've got to have the victory. And if you already have the victory, get more victory. Get more. Would you agree with me that in heaven, that experience of daddy love that you know now is going to be amplified exponentially? Why wait? Why wait? I'm not going to wait. I'm going to drag as many of you along with me into the Father's affection. I know we talked about this last time, but these wells need to go deeper in us. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Psalm says, Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know your name, what do they do? They're all in. Whereas in Catholicism, quote from James Denny, whereas in Catholicism, assurance of the Father's affection is a sin, that is, assurance that you are actually in is a sin. Why? Because in the Council of Trent, they, in, against Martin Luther, they had a council, Council of Trent. We're not saved by grace alone through faith alone. We're saved by grace and works. If you're saved by grace and works, you can never know if your works are good enough. Therefore, there has to always be doubt unless you're going to be proud. So it's a sin to be proud, so you can't ever have confidence that you're going to go to heaven and are fully accepted by God in Roman Catholicism. There's a lot of Roman Catholics that are totally born again, but it's because they read the Bible, not because they're listening to Catholic doctrine. God bless them. We have... Our, on Channel 11 at 11, our TV show, it's right after the Catholic service, so. <laughs> right there. People that are lingering. <laughs> James Denny says, Where, oh yeah. Whereas in Catholicism, assurance is a sin, and historic Protestantism, assurance is a duty. In the New Testament, assurance is simply a fact. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hudson Taylor, Chinese missionary, one of the first Chinese missionaries to China. Before I was a father, before I had kids myself, before I was a father, I thought that God never would forget me. But since I have become a father, I know that God never can forget me. Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. Have access 
In the Old Testament, you didn't have access. Don't touch the mountain where God is, Mount Sinai, or you'll die. Don't come into the holiest of holies. We're putting a curtain down here. You cannot have access, only the priest once a year. Then when Jesus expired on the cross, the curtain of the, into the holiest of holies was ripped, not from the bottom up, because then people could say, well, man did it from the top to the bottom. And we have access to the holiest of holies. If you have childlike faith, it's yours. It says, it says uh, but through him, we both have access. Jews and Gentiles, Danes and Norwegians, Argentines and Ugandans, Chinese and Russians, Ukrainians and Brits. Everybody. Through him, we have access. Yes, here we go, wrapping this up. Through the one spirit, we need and have supernatural help to access this great, this great father affection dynamic that um, gives us the automatic Victory over the evil one. The spirit himself cries out within us, what? Daddy, Abba. He's on our side. My, one of my life maxims is, so to the spirit and forgive the rest. Think on that one. It's a good one. So to the spirit and forgive the rest. Billy Graham, this, I'm going to conclude with this. Billy Graham tells, uh, told a story, you've, you probably have heard it in one way, way or another, but of an Eskimo uh, fellow that brought two dogs into the village every Saturday, and they'd have a dog bite, and he'd take bets, and he'd always win the bet. He could always tell which of his dogs was going to win. Someone asked him his secret, and he said, the one I feed the most is strongest. We're called of God to mortify our flesh. To not feed our flesh. Romans 12, uh, Hebrews 12, lay aside the, every, every weight and the sin that easily besets us. The weight of depression, the weight of discouragement, the weight of self-pity, the weight of, I can't do this. I can't do this. That sort of a weight. Lay it aside. And the sin that easily besets. We, you and I know that we could easily sin. But you know what? We can also easily not sin. We can, we can lay that aside by positivity. Don't let yourself get discouraged. Keep it positive and you'll sin way less. This final quote from Graham Cook. The goodness of God is the greatest weapon at our disposal in the fight against evil. Remember, we are Christ-like. We overflow with him. We abound. We flourish. Each and every situation that occurs is an opportunity to express the goodness of God. Let's stand. I have some words of knowledge for prayer afterwards. We're going to have the pastoral care team, prayer team over on this side. 
because Marty and friends will be doing prophetic words. Please stay after if you'd like a personal prophetic word on this side, a monthly release of prophetic words for people. Always positive, always encouraging. Here are the words of knowledge for in this congregation or people watching on TV. God wants to heal these things, a spirit of suicide. He wants to deliver somebody from a spirit of suicide. Someone who's bound by fear. You're afraid to even leave your house. Someone who has doubts about their prayer language. God is wanting you to have confidence to press into your prayer language. Someone with seizures. God wants to heal seizures today. And anyone that might feel like there's actually a demonic force binding you on the inside from really receiving God's love. This is your day to be delivered from that. If that's you in the congregation, come up, humbly come up and get some help. Get a prayer. We'll put the blood of Jesus between you and that lying voice, and you'll be totally free. You at home, just touch that TV screen or that computer screen. That's the point of contact for receiving the blessing of God. Hands on your heart right now. We know we've just touched the tip of the iceberg, but we also know this is not a thing of Sunday afternoons. This is, this is something that's crucial. Oh, God, in my weakness, I've tried to explain it from your word, but you give clarity for everybody we pray about your love and care. Rock us with your love and care, God. And may we see victories overflow into every area as we foil the enemy and neutralize his, his effect in our lives, our families' lives, and the lives of our world. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you and thank you.